Welcome back, listeners, to Radio Free South Bronx. My name is Desiree Joy Frias, and I'm here at the Bronx Music Heritage Center at 1303 Luis Nine Boulevard. And I am here with two amazing guests, Bobby Sanabria, seven-time Grammy nominee, Latin jazz artist, and most importantly, Bronx native. And Elena Martinez, co-artistic director of the Bronx Music Heritage Center. Welcome, both of you. Hello. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. Great. So I'm so excited to be in BMHC because I've been here for several programs and I love how you guys just bring the arts back to the Bronx and, you know, preserve and restore Bronx pride through music, as it says in your mission statement. So Bronx Rising, you were one day. So we were, um, we had started our Bronx Rising series, which was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, one day music, one day film screenings, one day some sort of spoken word, whether it's comedy, poetry, something like that. And we did that for three months, just Bronx Rising for three months every week. And um, that it was, was intense. It was intense. It, it was, was like booking agents. We were like booking agents, yeah, for like a club or something. But, but you know, we, luckily we were able to do it. We were asked in September to do this. In October, we had put the whole schedule together because we just know a lot of musicians. Um, I've worked as a folklorist at City Laura for over 20 years. Bobby's been in the music business for decades and decades. We just know a lot of people and a lot of artists and you know musicians or performers and could you know and, and put this together. And um, the the series um, went well. And, and Nancy liked the work that we did, so she asked us to stay on. So we stayed on as curators for Bronx Rising. But then it opened up that they were able to open. There was an opening um, for a new director for the space because. Um, just movement around of, of, of staff within WEDCO. And so we, um, as artistic director, Bobby and I um, share the position as art, artistic directors here. Um, so now we just don't run the, um, the Bronx Rising series. We do all, any public program that's here, whether it's Bronx Rising, whether it's the poetry programs, we, whatever goes into the gallery, the exhibits, um, making sure they, um, we have someone who does our, runs our education program, but we you know, hire the, music, the musicians and we want to make sure we get the great, best musicians as instructors, that sort of thing. So. Um, that, that's sort of like the genesis of how we moved into the Bronx Her Music Heritage Center and have been working there since the past five, over a little over five years. And um, the one thing I think um, I just want to say, let Bobby get his take on it, to me what's really important is that Bronx Rising and all the programming that we do here is not just about, um, hey, I'm going I'm to hire this musician to, to play a concert and just pay them. I mean, that's really simple, right? I mean, any, you can go to any club throughout New York City and someone can hire a band, there's a million musicians in New York, and have them play. We're, I'm hoping that the work that we do all is informed by the Bronx's history, the Bronx's legacy, or, or things that are going on in the Bronx, so that there's a deeper programming, that there's programming, you'll see poetry or film with the music, so you kind of get this, it's thematic, it's more thematic, and can, um, to give you um, a, a better understanding. You can, hopefully it's an enjoyable musical experience, but hopefully give you also um, delve deeper into the context and the culture from which it's from. And every event we have here, we have detailed, detailed program booklet, so people can, when they get home, they can even learn more, or they'll, they'll sit here but before the show starts, any presentation, and, and they'll get details uh, about the artists and what the uh, program is about. So if, like it's a, this evening, uh, we're doing a program dealing with uh, Quechua, the Quechua language and, and Ecuadorian folklore. So people will learn about that. The Ecuadorian community is a large community here in the South Bronx and they exist. So this is our way of acknowledging them and letting people know about that culture in a bigger way so they can you know, learn about their Ecuadorian uh, neighbors. Exactly. In, in terms of uh, myself, Getting involved with this, Nancy, not uh, Nancy Bieberman, who 
who, uh, just to give you a little backstory on her, she is a very, very respected, well-known, in in, and I would say legendary uh, lawyer in terms of housing law in New York City. A graduate of Columbia University. She was at Columbia studying during the whole time when the students rose up, took over the school, the members of the Weather Underground formed there. You know, she knows all of them. So, in fact, you probably have seen Nancy as part of the Ken Burns documentary series on the Vietnam War. She was one of the talking heads there. Very progressive woman, uh, leftist in the best sense of the word, etc. She had always been championing the cause of women, and she saw that things, women were very unfairly treated in housing court. Yeah. And she championed them. And she formed this organization 25 years ago, Women's Housing Economic Development Corporation. She rebuilt the old Morrisonia Hospital, bought it for a dollar. I know that hospital well because I used to go there as a kid when I got sick. My mother used to take me there. And tell me about growing up here in the Bronx and how you first uh, became exposed to music. Well, I, I always say, I, I, uh, what's, the, what's the opening line of uh, Tale of Two Cities? It was the best, worst of times, it was the best of times, or yeah. the best of times, the worst of times. That's, that was my upbringing in the South Bronx because people don't realize that are outsiders and really don't know the history of the Bronx. The Bronx was a paradise. It really was. Uh, it was the place where integration really came was fomented. For example, Morris High School was the most integrated high school in the country, not just the, the New York City. Of course, we had a, a, a variety of communities here in the South Bronx. I remember well, there were Italians in the South Bronx, Irish, there were, I remember German. We, we, used to, I used to get, we used to get meat from a German meat market on Melrose Avenue. Got deli meats from uh, an Italian uh, deli on Morris, on Morris Avenue. I grew up in the Melrose Projects, East 153rd Street and Cortland Avenue on the top of the hill, 681. There were Polish people in the South Bronx, of course the African American community. I happened to be Puerto Rican, New Yorkian specifically. All that was happening uh, in the South Bronx and uh, the lucky thing about me is I was born in 1957 and so I saw the change in the South Bronx where it was this, there was this multicultural paradise and it was economically stable, et cetera, and thriving. Lots of small businesses along the L, and exactly. everyone bought everything from their little neighborhood shops. Everybody, you'd see people on the tenement stoops talking to each other, and there was a lot of factory work in the South Bronx, and then it all disappeared with the construction of the Cross Bronx Expressway and the Bruckner Expressway when Robert Moses initiated those two massive construction projects, and about a half a million people were displaced from the South Bronx. The, the property values went down. Um, if you were a tenement owner, you couldn't get a, a replace the boiler in the building because you couldn't get a loan. If you were in that redlined area, then the South Bronx was flooded by organized crime with heroin because the Vietnam War was happening, it was escalating, and returning GIs were coming back as junkies. It was, it, and then the on some unscrupulous landlords, landlords decided, well, let's burn the buildings, collect all the insurance money, I'll make more money doing that than, than renting out the apartments. And then, of course, the coup de grace was Roger Starr, who worked for the uh, 
he started working during the Lindsay administration and he came up with this idea called planned shrinkage because uh, de uh, developers were salivating to get into the South Bronx to build high rises, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, well, how do we remove, how do we remove all these people? So Roger Stark came up with this idea. Shut down firehouses, shut down police precincts, stop garbage collection. Tear down the L train. Right, exactly, I remember that well. <laughs> I mean, it, it, was a, it was a nightmare. But they didn't count on one thing. They didn't count on the resiliency of the African-American and Puerto Rican community of the South Bronx. They just, did, they didn't count on that. They, just, they said, well, even those people will want to move out. And we did. My parents stayed. Of course, we had an advantage. We lived in the projects. So you couldn't burn down a project. And I had a front row seat of seeing the South Bronx burning because it was like a ritual. After dinner, me and my sister would look out, out the window of uh, the kitchen window. We lived on the 12th floor and we could always see the fires and we would count. And my mother used to yell at us going, Bájense de ahí. Ustedes no tienen vergüenza. Hay gente que se están muriendo o se están, están perdiendo su hogar. Uh, don't, you, uh, don't you have any shame? You know, don't you know that people are dying out there or losing their homes? And you're out there looking at it like it's a cartoon. And it was. you were it, young. You didn't. It, right, right. Didn't but it was, it was. But it was scary too because we're looking at it like it was a science fiction movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, I remember telling my sister one day, you think Godzilla's going to come over the horizon, man? You know, because uh, you see these fires and you're going, wow, it is like a science fiction horror movie. But at the same time, this is the conundrum. At the same time, the music industry in New York City, particularly in radio and in TV, was firing on all cylinders. We had the best radio of any place in the country. We had stations like WBLS, Frankie Crocker was the program director and he used to have a moniker, the total black experience in sound. Now that was a heavy thing because when he said the total black experience in sound, that meant he would play Gladys Knight and the Pips, James Brown, and the Fania All-Stars. So we're going, wow, we're part of, you know, it's like a little cultural lesson. Wow, you mean we're- We're, we're black too. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we're, we're from Africa. We have, the, of course, the rhythms, <laughs> the congas, the timbas, everything. Um, he understood the intersectionality yeah, back when that wasn't even- Exactly, exactly. Phrased. And it was empowering, man. And then, the, then you had WNEW, which was the, the main rock station, not only in New York, but all across the country. You got to understand, <laughs> FM radio, was a new thing back in the late 60s, early 70s. And uh, the uh, companies that made stereos made knew that and they started making stereos so you could get FM radio and also play high fidelity recordings. So they started making stereos very cheaply and then they were available to all of us. So uh, WNEW was run by Jonathan Schwartz. He was the program director, but he was he he was whack crazy because he loved Tito Puente and he loved Frank Sinatra. So he's playing the Grateful Dead, and and at the same time he's playing Miles Davis and Bitches Brew, and then he uh, and then he, all of a sudden he goes when he hosted he go and now the Count Basie of Latin music, Tito Puente. And I go, what is Tito Puente doing after being after? He just played something by the Rolling Stones. I mean, it was, that's the way FM radio was back then because FM radio didn't have that many commercials. It was a new medium. Yeah. So that's why you could play, he, that's why the DJs could play something like In Memory of Elizabeth Reed by the Allman Brothers Band, which is a 13 minute song, and you could play it. You can't do that anymore. 
So it was an education for us uh, growing up. And then we had all of the cartoons had jazz in them from Johnny Quest to, to, to uh, Yogi Bear to the Flintstones, et cetera, et cetera. You saw jazz on all of the TV variety shows like Ed Sullivan, The Merv Griffin Show, Johnny Carson's Tonight Show, David Fr the David Frost Show, the Dick Cavett Show. There was jazz. That was the last time period where jazz was accessible to the mainstream public. Yeah. And then at the same time, the Dick Cavett's Jazz Orchestra led by Bobby Rosengarden, you're seeing them on commercial breaks. And he goes, our first guest, Jimi Hendrix, just recorded. I mean, so you're getting all this, you're bombarded by all these great artists in all different fields of music, PBS, I saw Eddie Palmieri on PBS, I saw the incredible trumpet player Don Ellis in his orchestra who was experimenting with electronics. I saw Cream when I was a little kid, Jack Bruce, Eric Clapton, and Ginger Breaker on Live from the Rough uh, London Philharmonic Hall on PBS. I'm watching this. I saw Earth, Wind and Fire. Yeah, I'm, I saw <laughs> Earth, Wind and Fire on a show called Soul, which was uh, a black public affairs program variety show on uh, PBS and I see Earth, Wind & Fire they hadn't even recorded yet they were just, you know a I mean, new band I, yeah, and yeah. you're getting all of these incredible free concerts in your living room yeah. in the South Bronx yeah, and then at the same time I always say this it's the summertime the first thing you hear in New York City if, when you're in the hood is the sound of the Mr. Softy truck, the jingle. That's a New York thing. And at the same time, it'd be right now it's like uh, five on a set five twenty in a Saturday afternoon. You'd be hearing in any neighborhood where there are Puerto Ricans or any, uh, you'd be hearing this. Uh, <laughs> The sound of Cuban guaguancó buys playing that in the park on conga drums. So it's like a Fellini movie because you guys got you got in one corner of the park people playing conga drums, a cipher made up of blacks, Puerto Ricans, some Cubans, and uh, uh, Italians, Irish, some Irish, you know, Germans or whatever, the remnants of those communities, yeah. all listening to Cuban rumba in yeah. the park. Because they all the, appreciate good music. Yeah, and, <laughs> and as we say in Spanish, el tambor llama, the drum calls. So it's a tribal thing. Yeah. And then you got girls playing handball in, in the handball courts. You got uh, kids playing Ringo Livio in another corner. You got older people playing chess on these concrete uh, chess tables. You got the African-Americans playing basketball. It, it was like a, a, it's like Alice in Wonderland, but in the hood. And, and that's, the, that's what I grew up in. I yeah, mean, and all of this exposure to music and culture is so important. And I think that that's where BMHC is stepping in today. And you guys do a lot of youth engagement programs and a lot of programs for students. Um, I came to a concert where it was all students playing. So tell me a little bit about that, Elena, and, and why a lot of your initiatives are so centered around young people. Well, I think um, probably th there's a mix of stuff. WEDCO has um, different programming that is geared towards um, youth. There's after-school programs for their, um, in the schools for, their, for students there. They have um, summer programs. And this is all through WEDCO um, itself. 
Um, the community development arm of WEDCO does a lot of work with places like DreamYard to get like young artists involved with different things. Here at the Bronx Music Heritage Center, um, with our focus on music itself, we do have music classes. So we have music classes that are free for young people under 18. We have, um, they can take guitar, conga, and piano. And our, our, all our instructors are like a very high level of musicianship. We have musicians who teach at our music classes that have um, been um, assistant musical directors on Broadway. So just because you live in the Bronx, you know, uh, a small community in the Bronx doesn't mean that you shouldn't be, um, have ex access to the best quality of music education. So that's really important for us that we have program that there are music classes, uh, the small amount of music classes that we can do right now that make sure it's very high quality and which when we move to our new space, we will continue with that and hopefully can expand that as well. That's, so that's right. And uh, I just, just, not to mm -hmm. cut you off, but just to interject. That, and that is one of the tragedies of that time period when the Bronx was burning, the city was bankrupt, the malfeasance of the politicals in the city at the time. One of the tragedies is that they cut all the music programs in the South Bronx, South Brooklyn, Manhattan, etc. They, they, they diminished the importance of the arts, not just music, but they cut theater, dance, poetry, etc., etc. And, 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 that de and that dehumanizes your community. When that's you where that. I was going to go. How important is the arts? I mean, Elena and Bobby can both touch on this. How important is the arts for these young people? And I guess for you, Bobby, how important did the arts become for you growing up? Well, it was my way out because, uh, I listen, by the time I was 12 years old, I had already, the die was cast. I said, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, uh, be, a, be a musician. There were musicians living in the projects where I grew up. For example, there was this great drummer, Howard King, and I saw him playing drums with McCoy Tyner on TV, on, on, live from the Montreux Montre Jazz Festival in Switzerland. I said, oh my God, I know that guy. He lives in my neighborhood. Kako, the great timbala player for the Allegri All-Stars, he lived in one of the projects. In fact, I used to play stickball and basketball with his nephews. And they took me over to his apartment one day, and they go, hey, you want to see my uncle's uh, tuxedos? And I go, sure. He, and he goes, they had, they had the keys. They walk in with like little clandestine spies. We open up the closet, and there's like 30 tuxedos in different colors. You know, shark skin tuxedos. I'm going, wow. And then he comes in. Uh -oh. He catches us. I'm sorry, whatever. And he goes, then he goes, uh, Te gusta tanto? you like him so much? Okay, you, you, put him on, pick one out. Little kids wearing his tuxedos. He's laughing at us and everything. There was a gentleman that lived in my building, Candido Rodriguez. He was the timbala player. Yeah. yeah. Candido Rodriguez was the timbala player for at the time for Ricardo Rey and Bobby Cruz. He had a big afro. His wife used to do my mother's hair. <laughs> so he lived in the building and he was a local hero and we knew about him because he had recordings. You'd go to the record store and you see his recordings in the record racks and everything. The record stores were very important. Elena could talk more about that to you. Uh, yeah, especially in the Bronx community. I mean, we should definitely touch on that. The importance of the record stores and places like Casa Amadeo and, and how they were part of the cultural and um, neighborhood fabric. Well, real quick, Stan's record store was the main record store in the South Bronx. It was run by a Jewish gentleman by the name of Stan. And in those days, you could go and audition the records. You pick out a record, an album or a 45. Can I listen to this? 
And he goes, sure, the, going to the back, and there was three record players and, with little booths. You could listen. If you didn't like it, if you liked it, yeah. And, he, and then he'd go, hey, you like this? Maybe you'll like this. Okay, everybody in the community knew who John Coltrane was, Miles Davis, Tito Puente, Machito. It wasn't a thing like, oh, I'm into salsa, or no, I'm just into jazz, or I'm into... Everybody was into everybody else's culture. And Stan would have people like James Brown or The Temptations. I remember Diana Ross, she came in with the Supremes to sign autographs in the South Bronx at that record store. Wow. So Elena could talk to you now like about a place like Casa Armadeo. Well, one thing before I get to the record store, just to say about the accessibility of music, two different types of music, what you were talking about, is that I think one of our roles in the Bronx Music Heritage Center is that, in theory, there are more places to listen to music now. You can go on the internet, and I could listen to the music of a Moroccan tribe from the mountains of Morocco. I should be able to have access to anything, but people don't, because people are very limited to what they end up really accessing on things like the internet. But because we have like less access to um, hear daily sorts of music, like Bobby said, like we don't hear it in cartoons and, and movies all the time, and our radio is very limited. I don't want to play, I don't want to have hip hop shows and the type of hip hop that anyone can hear on the radio. My goal is not to play the stuff of like Jay Z or anything that, that I, we could, that we could um, book here and have here play at, at the perform here at the BMHC because I, I see the BMHC as an antidote to what you can hear on the radio every single day. There's so much out there, there's so many great, so much great music out there and so many great musicians that live right here in, in the Bronx or in New York City as a whole that, that people that can be exposed to. So I see the BMHC as a sort of an antidote to the mediocrity of the main, of mainstream radio and things like that. Yeah, and just to give people um, an opportunity to be exposed to something they would have never selected. Like you, like we were talking about earlier, tonight there's going to be a Quechua event and people would may have never even heard the word Quechua or know that it's an indigenous language from Ecuador. So you're like you're saying, like an antidote, like, you know, just showing people something new, you know? That is part of their community, that it's here, it's part of their community, it should be part of their soundscape, but we so rarely get to get to hear anything outside of like the Taylor Swift, you know, Jay-Z sort of um, world universe of the, of the radio. So, um, I mean, so that to me is very important about, about the work that we can do here. Um, and then just to go back to the radio, um, I mean, to record stores. Record stores have a place to play, like all the, you know, this Bobby mentioned the Bronx. Like other places used to be filled with all kinds of different venues. But radios, um, I keep saying radio, record stores were really important venues because, you know, they were places where you could go to, you'd hear, you'd walk past them, you'd hear the music playing outside the space, and you'd hear the sounds, first of all. If you're from just coming, arriving from Puerto Rico, you're new here, you don't really think you'd walk past a radio store or a record store and you would hear the music coming out of there. So it's, you hear it right away and are drawn to it. They were also places where musicians would hang out to get gigs. Maybe record labels would go there and, and, and ask the owners, you guys know what's going on? You guys know what's popular? What's the, who are the best musicians? What's, the, what's hot right now? So they were places where the music business could come together with the actual local musicians could come there. And um, even though that's sort of changing, um, music and record stores aren't what they once were because record stores don't really sell records or CDs as much. Um, people are downloading it, everything off the internet. But for the ones that are still there, they do become sort of like a repository of information, contact, you know. Um, flyers for concerts. Flyers for concerts. And looking for musicians and, for events. And, and still like a cultural Promotion center. for dancers, local yeah. dancers. Yeah, yeah it was, it's, it's a community. It's a community it, center for music. It is, a, it is. It's definitely a community center for our communities. And what's really important, like, um, to me, of course, one of the most important ones is Casa Madeo in the Bronx. Um, Casa Madeo, not only because the who Mike is and what he does, is that talk about history. You have a record store that's been there since 1941. It's the oldest continually run Latin music store in the city. 
since 1941. It was founded by a woman. It's found about a Puerto Rican woman, which first of all, women weren't having that many, didn't have that many businesses back then. And here's a woman who ran her own music store. Victoria um, Hernandez. The, the, the sister of Rafael Hernandez, our Puerto Rico's greatest composer. And so she started that business, sold it to Mike in 1969. He kept it alive. He is a, he's a place, musicians go in there. Um, musicians from during the, when Fania was in its, um, you know, its epic, you know, climactic phase. People, those musicians would go in there and get um, song, um, suggestions from Mike, or Mike would give them a composition, he gave compositions to like Hector Laveau, El Gran Combo, people who would come in from the island as well, um, to play his songs. But also, um, we also have to remember that this Latin music scene, this great Latin music scene that was here in the Bronx, with the Hunts Point Palace and the Tropicana, and all these great bars and theaters and clubs that were here, they're all gone. Because of what happened in the 60s and 70s, um, the fires, all these different things, they're gone. The only place that remains that is a symbol of um, our music and, our, and our, that part of our culture is Casa Madeo from that era, from that epic. And he's there, and he stayed there when there was no one living in the building, you know, there was no electricity or no water, and he got it from the sidewalk, can and he you, stayed there. <laughs> I know, can you imagine? <laughs> he's the only tenant in the building. The whole building, which is a huge Banding. building, yeah. it takes half the block. The building's abandoned, and he's the only tenant there. Meanwhile, there's junkies to the right of him, crack addicts to the left of him, uh, prostitution, everything else, garbage in the streets. During the it's, blackout, he during made the sure blackout. They, they protected it, you know, and, and it the stayed. People, the people, made... yeah, the people protected it. I mean, it was like, you know, oh, no, don't leave the record store alone. Don't, Mike, that's my rob, boy. Rob everyone else. It's not... <laughs> that's, that's our boy, Mike. Leave him. Leave but this Mikey. Idea of, this know. idea of, 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 of being, a, being a place, being a spot that's remained and stayed and is representative. And, and understanding getting, the cultural yeah. value as being more than just a record store. Mm -hmm. um, almost like you're doing here at the BMHC, of no, it's not just a music venue. You're looking to, you're not just willing to let anyone come and, and do stuff that you can see anywhere else. You're trying to um, preserve and promote Bronx culture and music and art. Well, um, we're not trying, we're doing it. I you mean, are, <laughs> succeeding, succeeding. <laughs> yeah, the thing is- the, Intending. <laughs> the, the, great, the great thing for us is when you see somebody from the neighborhood, they come in and they, they start learning about the history because we have a lot of immigrants now that from Africa, uh, from Bangladesh, Bangladesh, the Bangladesh community, the Chinese community, South American communities like the Ecuadorian, Colombian, etc. community. Uh, Irish are coming, you know, from directly from Ireland back to the Bronx, etc. And they started learning about the history of this neighborhood and just the borough in general. And you see the smiles come over their faces, where they once said. Maybe they're in their heads. They go, well, this is just a stopping, transitory stopping point for me. My goal is to live in a house in Long Island or whatever. And they start realizing, man, I'm in the center of the multiverse. Why would I want to leave this place? And I'm proud that I'm here and my kids are growing up in, the, in, this, in this rich, uh, culturally rich borough. Now, my, our contention, our beef is when the so-called gentrifiers come in and people say, and lately I've been getting I've been getting colleagues of mine telling me, hey, guess what, I just moved to the Bronx. I go, what took you so long? Or I say to them, do you know the history of this, this borough or whatever? I used to get people all the time going to me, why are you still living in the Bronx? And I'm looking at them. If you're I go, asking me that, you don't get it. Yeah, right. You don't, I mean, I lived that one time when I was previously married for 14 years in Sunnyside, Queens. Great neighborhood, multicultural as well, but 
you know, after I got divorced, I, I came back to the Bronx, and for, for the life of me, I didn't I didn't know that the circuitous journey that I've taken as a musician and as a, and as a, as a Bronxite would bring me back to the, the this place of my birth and and put me in a position where not only do I feel a sense of uh, accomplishment, but also I, I, I feel a sense of pride in the fact that now I'm really giving back to the community and, and helping to disseminate all this historical information in a way that not only enriches the community, but also shows people from outside of the community of the Bronx that, oh my God, this place is not just the fires and it's not just the birthplace of hip hop and the Yankees, you know, while the Yankees played in, well, they, I heard they got a zoo, you know, <laughs> that's big. It's a lot more than that. And that really want, um, takes me to my closing point um, about accessibility. So you put, um, your organization put this cultural venue space right under, right in a storefront, right in the heart of the Bronx, uh, underneath and around lots of apartment buildings. And how, how important is accessibility to the arts for both of you and um, how are you guys working to make sure that everyone can access the art whether it's the cost whether it's um, you know when you hold your events how you hold them all of that well that's I mean that's a big issue I guess for any organization doing anything but it, for, it's very important for us because people also have to remember where the Bronx Music Heritage Center is right now we are literally two blocks away from the most notorious street in the Bronx, Charlotte Street, which was sort of like the um, ground zero for urban blight, urban destruction back in the 70s and 80s, when everyone thought cities would fall apart and never, you know, when presidents were walking by, this was a neighborhood where people walked a couple blocks away, took photo ops to show about what is wrong with, the, with, ur with urban areas right now. And so in that generation of time, in that 40 years since those, you know, Carter and Reagan walked through those streets in those 40 years, there's been a lot of changes in the community. There's been a lot of changes. And, um, but, pe but there wasn't access for so long. There, this, is, this whole area was abandoned buildings and just rubble. So there wasn't access for a long time to the arts. So it's very important that we, that for me and, and, and Bobby, that, that people can walk by here and, and hopefully feel comfortable to come in. People aren't used to being able to go in the arts. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, maybe if you live in Manhattan, you see like, museums all the time you'd feel comfortable just like walking in and, and sometimes people might not even aren't where we're here and aren't sure that this is a cultural center I can just walk in here and, and feel comfortable I can look at there's a there's a gal there's paintings on the wall I can like come in and look at it but we it's important to us that the community feels comfortable that they can come in here this is for them and and, and, and about and about our community and so so that's really important too to just to just make sure that that people have a space in general because for so long there wasn't anything here and then you know, there's accessibility. We're close by to a subway. We try to always make that really um, clear to people. Um, we are right here, really easy to get to. And in terms of, we try to do as much programming as we can for free um, to so that people can come come to events. We just recently started on our, our one monthly program. So we started charging a small fee for that. Um, and because um, when we do move, we're moving to a bigger space in, in the next year, next year, about a year and a half, and there'll, there'll be um, that'll be a bigger space, you know, even bigger than Predagone. So we'll have to be charging a little bit for tickets for that. People also need to become accustomed to as well valuing to culture, valuing, valuing. Thank you. You to know, saying, to, place the value. to saying, look, all right, how about you don't eat out 
you know, don't eat out on Tuesday night, you know, eat at home and then save up your money so that Friday night you can come to BMHC, you can give money to a community of artists and you can enjoy that and more than the meal. And, and being a part of a network that supports the art, that supports the artists from the community, arts and artists from the community um, yeah. as possible. So so even though we try to keep everything, um, some stuff free, there's a few things that have that you know have fees but not excessive and again um you know just to and 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 but people will never be turned away either i mean the, the point is to you know come in here and enjoy and learn and pack the house yeah and, and, and pack that <laughs> when we can and hopefully getting that education education is important we want you to enjoy the music and dance and sing to the music but also at the same time can learn about what this great borough and neighborhood and has. make sure you bring and also that it's accessible also that uh, children can come yes we've never anybody you can bring a newborn here we, we, and abuela you can bring them all yeah yeah <laughs> all the programming that we do is accessible to everyone of every we don't usually age. call things family friendly but really everything is in a way because music of any sort whether even if it's jazz or Puerto Rican bomba any age should be able to come and, and enjoy that um, you know sometimes it's harder we show documentary film screening sometimes and little kids are always gonna be like maybe bored with that but but in general, if, if they think, if, if your kid want to come and hear some poetry, why not? There's poetry. There's no reason why anyone of any age shouldn't be exposed to all these different musical forms and art forms. The fun part, too, is when we do things that are specifically geared, we specifically gear them to be kid-friendly. Like, for example, we've, our Halloween events have been really fun. We did one, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of Night of the Living Dead, and because... You know, and that's where history is so important because I always tell young people, you don't understand. History is the most important subject because history is your secret weapon in terms of cultural pride uh, and in your relationship to the rest of the world. Elena found out that George Romero, the, the creator of the director of Night of the Living Dead, is from the Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> so he, we even tried to get him to come to the night of the screening we had. So what we did was we did a special screening of it and we worked it out so that I provided the music with an experimental group that I have called Project X. And we had all the kids come and they had to come in costumes. And we were giving out free <laughs> portraits. We had a, we had a great photographer, um, local photographer, who's a great um, photographer, take portraits of them in costume. And they, and Lena goes, you think this movie is too heavy for the kids? They're like, I go, are you kidding? They see Dawn, uh, they, they see uh, The Walking Dead uh, on TV and, and, and there's more violence in Star Wars than anything else. So, but the, it was interesting, the reaction of the kids because first of all, they see a band in the corner and electronic instruments synthesizer, this, that, and the other. So we're providing a live soundtrack to the, to the film and they're seeing a black and white film. The lights off, they were scared because they, they had never seen a black and white film, and it's a it's really a film noir. It's it's very really yeah. masterfully done. Night of the Living Dead. We tried to get Mr. Romero to come, but uh, but he he uh, we and uh, he just he just wished us well. He couldn't because he was already getting uh, sick and he was eventually succumbed to the illness that he had. Mm -hmm. But just to know that, just to announce to the audience that this is the 50th anniversary and that. This film was created by a Bronxite. People were looking at each other. Goes, I didn't know he was from the Bronx. I didn't, and I think, you know. yeah, and I think that's really one of the things that they take away with them, whether they know it or not, is you know seeing people who look like them playing instruments, 
um, putting on photography exhibits, painters, whatever the art form is, it makes them realize I can do that too. You know, our mission here, besides the, everything you've mentioned and we've mentioned, we, the philosophy that I like to say that we follow here is the philosophy of another great Bronxite, Mr. Bill Graham, who was Carlos Santana's manager. He, as a young boy, he was in a Nazi uh, concentration camp. His family was killed, he survived, but he was sent over to the Bronx as an orphan. And he grew up in the Bronx, graduated from DeWitt Clinton High School, graduated from City College, became a theater promoter in uh, San Francisco, and eventually uh, constructed the Fillmore East and the Fillmore West, these two incredible rock clubs, and became Santana's manager. But he was a great mambo dancer. He said, the greatest thing I've done in my life is win the, the mambo dance contest at the Palladium Ballroom in New York City. You can see him dancing in the film Bugsy. He plays Lucky Luciano in the movie and he's dancing with a young lady in Havana. But anyway, his philosophy was, yeah, yeah, I'll give the audience what they want, but also I'll give them something that they need. And that was always his philosophy when he did concerts. So he'd have uh, an evening with the Grateful Dead at the Fillmore East down in the village in Manhattan, but the opening band would be the Buddy Rich Jazz Orchestra. So all of a sudden these heads. These metal heads, yeah. yeah. Or, or, have or, to sit through. These, dead, these deadheads come. They go, oh, what's up with all the music stands? And, they, and these guys, this whole great jazz orchestra comes out. The world's greatest drummer comes out and blows them away. And they go, wow, man, who is that guy? You know, and of course, then they, they get the coup de grace, which is the, the Grateful Dead. So he, he was all about that, educating the public, high culture, high art mixed with also giving them their comfort food or whatever it is that they were into at the time. Yeah. So that's the kind of philosophy we like to, I think that we follow here. Give the people what they want, entertain them, but also give them something that they need. And I, me and Elena, we make a fantastic team because she <laughs> comes up with some of the most incredible ideas that uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted sometimes when what she tells me. And I go, what do you think about this idea? And I go, wow, man, I never even thought of but that. You just have to trust her. You just execute. <laughs> yeah, and then, of course, I give my suggestions too, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, but but her, uh, I think that Nancy, you know, like when, when Nancy uh, asked us to do this, uh, I, I kind of, in the back of my head said, it's it's... The model we have is a Jazz at Lincoln Center. But where Jazz at Lincoln Center just relates to the jazz experience, we relate to every experience. The Bron here. You relate to the Bronx experience, exactly. which is an experience of everyone from all over the world. Mm -hmm. Exactly, um, exactly. And, and, and then, I mean, I mean, you name it, we've had, talk about some of the programs we've had here. The, 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 uh, well, why don't you talk about some of the programs that are coming up? Coming up. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, again, we you know try to keep it um, on, on a programmatic basis. Um, the, there's a theme. Um, tonight, um, not only we're going to be having um, Ecuadorian dance and music groups, but it's um, the summer. We just passed summer solstice, and um, there are summer solstice festivals in Tiremi where they celebrate the sun in the Ecuador, northern region of Ecuador. So um, it's all, and also the, the the immigrants who've come from there practice it here as well. So they're going to be putting on tonight. First, they're going to start out with a presentation to show us, um, tell us a little bit about. Um, what Intiremi is um, in Ecuador and here in New York City. It'll be in, in Quechua and, and Spanish, but a little bit of English um, explanation. Um, but you'll get to hear the language itself. 
and a little presentation about that. But then you'll get to hear a great dance. You'll get to see and hear a great dance and music um, from the community, from um, from groups that are that have come here and live here now in New York City. Um, we have coming up our Bronx Rising series. Um, that are, that's coming up. That's tonight. That's our Bronx Rising for tonight. Our July Bronx Rising is we have the Sisterhood of Hip Hop. Um, part two, which we will be looking at sort of, it's called Style and Technique. We'll have, um, start off in, um, with a little graffiti tour of the neighborhood, all the murals that are on the like, Sheridan Expressway, which are out, we're going to be probably losing a lot soon because there's new buildings going up there now, new development. And then some local graffiti artists, Caleb and Laura Alvarez will do some, um, show us some of their styles. We will have a, a dance demo, um, dance demo and discussion with some B-girls, Peaches, Dina Clemente, and um, Big Tara with um, a capoeira instructor, a capoeira dancer, and a tap dancer. So all these different dancers can show their different, um, you know, how they work, their different styles and techniques and are there comparisons and, and things, similarities with, it, with their dancing. And, and they're actually their relationship to the African diaspora, mm -hmm. because they're all diaspora forms. Yeah, so, absolutely. And, um, and then, um, then we'll end with some with MCs, um, Patty Dukes and Sherry Sher from Mercedes Young Ladies, which um, Sherry Sher and from her group, Mercedes Young Ladies, was the first all-woman um, MC and DJ group um, from the Bronx back in the 70s. So um, she'll be here, and they'll do a little um, a short performance. And then um, in August, we celebrate, since Bronx Tourism Council started Salsa Fest every, every um, August, we always do a little homage to salsa. And this year we'll be having this great um, Zoila Martinez from Mexico, a great pianist, will be performing. And she'll be performing in, in tribute to the Fania pianist, Papo Luca. And Bobby and I started this other series, a little mini series here called Conversations with the Masters, where we get on stage interviews with Bronx artists. And we've interviewed great Bronx artists like the, the saxophonist Ray Santos, the jazz vocalist Helen Mer Merrill. And then in August, we're going to be interviewing Eddie Montalvo on stage, the great Fania Conguero, um, conga player. Fania All-Star, yeah. Yep. That's and incredible. In, in September, our Bronx Rising, um, we have, we'll be showing women, um, women telling stories through movement. We have a great documentary about women's girls' hand clapping games, all the different, Mary, Miss Mary Mack and all those things, with the stories girls tell through hand clapping. You know, everyone thinks boys have more sophisticated games and stuff, but actually girls' games are quite sophisticated and lyrically and, and, um, and rhythmically and what they do. And then we'll, that will be followed by the Bharati um, Dance Academies. Um, they're going to be doing classical Indian dance, where, again, there's a lot of storytelling through hand movements. So those are some of the upcoming events that we'll be having for Bronx Rising. But in between, we have a lot of other stuff going on. We have great, we have an open mic series that's going on in Spanish and language, Palabriando. Or, um, there'll be one next, next Thursday. We have a great um, exhibit up here right now by the artist Tanya Torres, um, the, the Dark Magdalena exhibit, which we'll be having some upcoming events about, a, a free meditative dance. Um, program as well as an art workshop um, in the next couple weekends. So um, please go to our Facebook um, at BX Music and our Instagram, which is also at BX Music, and find out what we're um, you know, what we're um, what events are coming up. And it's very active, very dynamic. Those sites, and it'll give you a lot more information. And, and Bobby, your good. big project coming up. Oh, oh <laughs> did you forget about it? No, 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 no. I, I have a new double CD coming out called West Side Story Reimagined. And it's really close to my heart because uh, it's a reworking of the entire score of West Side Story done through my lens, which is as a New Yorkian and a jazz and Latin musician. So where West Side Story originally in 1957, the year of my birth, was about, obviously based on Romeo and Juliet, but based on the west side of Manhattan and about the, 
the so-called encroachment of the Puerto Rican community at that time, the migrant Puerto Rican community, we're migrants because we are U.S. citizens, we're not immigrants, coming into the West Side, into the white working class neighborhoods, and their, their fear, et cetera, and of course the, the racial hatred uh, that they imposed on us, and the eventual uh, coming together of Tony and Maria, falling in love, well, I've reversed that now. It's the present day, and the neighborhoods are not, and those, the grandchildren and the children of those white working class people that fled those neighborhoods because of blacks and Puerto Ricans coming in, now they want those neighborhoods back. It's <laughs> called gentrification and their sons, daughters, and grandsons and granddaughters want those neighborhoods back. Well, but those neighborhoods aren't now, aren't anymore just Puerto Rican and African American or, or with some Cubans. Now, besides being African American Cubans there, they're Garifuna, they're Chinese, they're uh, Ecuadorian, they're Mexican, um, they're people from Africa, they're people from Colombia, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, all of those things are reflected in this new reworking that I've done. And it's my 21-piece multiverse orchestra. We're very proud because every album we've done has been nominated for a Grammy. And we're going to be performing it August 10th at Lincoln Center Out of Doors, free to the public. So it's going to be very monumental. The poet uh, Bruja and uh, I forgot the other poet. La Bruja's going to be there. Yeah, the, the poet La Bruja is going to be opening for us, and I forgot the other poet's name. And also the photography collective says that soon, these incredible photographers, some of them who work with the New York Times, etc. they're all South Bronx natives, they're gonna be projecting images behind us. And so the recording- And all of this for free, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and all of this, uh, the recording officially comes out July 20th, but you can actually get it now from jazzheads.com which is the record company and if you get it from the record company now you get it at a very reduced price and part of the proceeds are going to um, benefit correct yes they, the great thing about it is in keeping with Leonard Bernstein the creator of the music for West Side Story his humanitarian spirit most of the money from the sale of the recording goes to the Jazz Foundation of America's Puerto Rico musician relief fund because many of the musicians musicians have lost their homes some can't pay rent they've lost their instruments etc i mean there's no electricity no water um yeah. you know it's not possible to, yeah yeah to, to i mean some of the musicians there. some of the musicians are working at kiosks for pennies i mean it's ridiculous what's happening in the malfeasance of this country what's happening what's been happening so this the, the it's very timely that this recording comes out now and with all the, the racial tension in the country stemming from the president's right. actions. But besides being a socio-political statement and, and, a, and a reimagining of the, the entire score from a Latin and jazz musician's perspective, this recording is also an homage to the Puerto Rican community of New York City because we literally transformed this city artistically through our culture, music, dance, theater, poetry, in every which way, of course, music, as I said before, and we've never gotten credit for that. So this right. is a way of me saying to the world and to the people of New York, hey, this community from this small island of about 100 miles long, 35 miles wide, has literally transformed this city into a cauldron of rhythm and vibrancy. And 
you know, please, you should really, uh, how about helping us out now in our time of need when the government is The same not, way we helped New York City in their time of need in the 70s and, 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 you know, 80s when it was, there was nothing here. And like you said, the city was bankrupt and, you know, Puerto Rican hands and blood, sweat and tears, my, my grandparents and my mom, you know, they're the ones who worked. Yeah, the grassroots is, is really The Young Lords, the Ostos Community College, yeah. all of that was built by, by Puerto United, Ricans. United Bronx parents, Nos Quedamos, all those Bilingual people. education. Bilingual. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we did put the work in when, when you needed help. And now, it's not that we deserve it, it's that we, we have a right to it as Americans. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's what this recording really, the subtext of it is, is all about. Plus, it comes with a beautiful 16-page booklet with rare photographs uh, and photographs of the orchestra. We recorded this. It's, it's all been kismet. The recording was done at Jazz at Lincoln Center in Disney's Club Coca-Cola, which is what was part of the, the area, San where San Juan Hill, yeah. which was where... West Side Story occurs, and we're performing at August 10th, right where Lincoln Center is, dead center, ground zero, where West Side Story was filmed. So, so. Uh, well, I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So it's a win-win situation for everyone. It's a beautiful commemorative uh, package, the way it's packaged. Richard Mantel did the artwork on the uh, CD, and he's worked on covers for Thelonious Monk, Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie, award-winning uh, artists. So. We're very uh, hopeful also, you know, obviously that it gets nominated again for the Grammys and hopefully we'll win it this time. Because we, not because of me, but because really the musicians on the recording and all of the arrangers that some of them were, who were former students of mine at the Manhattan School of Music deserve it because it's really, really brilliant. The playing on it is, and it's live in front of an audience. So what you hear is what you get and, and I'm really, it, 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 there's only one word to describe it. It's spectacular. And, and not because of me, but because of the musicians. Well, you both make the Bronx proud, and we're so thankful for all the work you're doing here in the Bronx. And listeners, I hope to see you at the Bronx Music Heritage Center and at Bobby's event in Lincoln Center. And last question, just for fun. Favorite restaurant in the Bronx? Who wants uh, to go first? You got it ready already? Uh, Patricia's. <laughs> Patricia's Park Avenue. Patricia's Italian restaurant on Morris Park Avenue. And just to keep with our um, our Morris Park, um, our Morris Park theme, let's give a shout out to um, a great Colombian restaurant, um, La Masa, also yes. on Morris yes. Park Avenue. Yeah. La Masa Colombian restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, thanks you two for coming on the show. Thank you. Gracias. Thank you.